This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, let's kick it. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic and sober coach. My addiction has shaped the person I am today and given me the ability and voice to help others, and I simply wouldn't be here without it. Recovery is possible. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we talk to other recovering alcoholics and addicts. We hear their stories and hope to help others who may still be struggling. Head on over to the sobrietydiaries.com where you can apply to be a guest on the show and join our insiders list for early release episodes, exclusive content, and much more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thanks so much for downloading today's episode and for spending time with me today here on the Sobriety Diaries. We are sort of going in a different direction today with our guest, Megan Swan. She is a wellness and health coach who has, in her words, taken decades of self-hatred and really a learned behavior of alcoholism and sort of not your traditional path to recovery and set forth on this path of evolution and really discovery about herself and and plant-based living and natural energy and turned it into, you know, health and wellness and in turn coaching other folks to better their lives. She shares some fascinating information about just the the toxins that we're putting into our bodies and and how we can change that. So I had a great time talking uh, with Megan. So without further ado, let's open the diary on Megan Swan. Megan Swan, thank you so much for joining us today on the Sobriety Diaries. How's your day going? So far, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your willingness to share your story. What inspired you to, to join us here today on the podcast? Well, just that I think it's so important for us to talk about these things more openly. And um, I think many of us have had the experience that it's a family pattern of some sort. And um, if we make it a non-taboo topic and share our true experiences, I think um, hopefully somebody can relate and hear something a different way because that was how it happened for me. I I was circulating the concept for a long time and it was just a certain few podcasts, a certain, a new idea that came in a different, worded in a different way that really made it click for me. Yeah, that's a a great point. I think 
you never know what you will relate to in someone's story or who it may come from. We always look for the differences, I think, and uh, an open mind and a good listening ear, I think, can go a long way. So great point. What we typically do here on the Sobriety Diaries is start uh, with your story and walk through your addiction and your journey to recovery. And I definitely want to touch on the amazing things you're doing now. So why don't we walk through your story together? Sure. So, uh, I mean, I'll go back to the beginning, but then I'll probably skip. (laughs) So um, I think it's important to point out that one of my first experiences with alcohol, first of all, was extremely young. Like um, one of my best friends who uh, she's actually 10 years in recovery now. Uh, she and I started drinking, we would, um, basically steal the vodka bottle out of the family bar and be hiding it behind the closet, uh, or the, you know, the curtain at Thanksgiving dinner at something, you know, fortunately we didn't do this all the time. It was when there was a quote unquote special occasion or something like that. But essentially we were modeling what the adults were doing, not the hiding part maybe, but you know, that alcohol was required for celebrating. Uh, And then fast forward, I got really drunk for the first time. I think I was 15, also with the same friend. We were on summer vacation. I won't get into it. Um, But it was one of those experiences where I had my first blackout even. Wow. And then um, for my 17th birthday, my father and the girlfriend of his at the time allowed me to use her house to have a birthday party. And... um, yeah, I basically spent the majority of the party on the kitchen floor. I have very little recollection of that. So the point is it started really young that, well, and I think the important, another important thing to touch on there is the next morning, even the adults were sort of joking about, you know, that being, I don't know, as you do people that drink, you you surround yourself with people who just make it, funny this really right. very yeah. sad it seems happening. almost like like it was a learned behavior yeah exactly yeah. so um i learned a lot that night although obviously not really for decades later uh but basically from a, a young age it was very normal it kind of ebbed and flowed with you know different groups of people i was spending time with in different scenarios and different music you know scenes and all this exactly what I was drinking and to what extent. Um, but it was definitely a part of my life for, well, until I was, I guess I was 39 when I quit. And so it's been three years. I'm 42 now. Maybe I don't have the classic, you know, rock bottom narrative in that. Um, for me, a lot of clarity became, came, I, I look at it as a gift that with my first child, I mean, as you do, most women stop drinking or at least dramatically decrease, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and so I had this, this gift of time, if you will, of sort of socially acceptable sobriety, where I, you know, the nine, nine months pregnant, and then I, it was really important to me to um, breastfeed. And so then there was like another 13 months, and then I was pregnant with my next And then I breastfed him. So it was almost four years where I hardly had anything to drink. And, um, but at the same time, I was really still at that point, looking forward to getting back to some sort of point of partying, not to the extent, but, you know, enjoying numbing 
Yes. And I never really found it in the same way to the same extent, partly I think because for those of you who are parents, you know, you definitely shift your paradigm and, you know, you're now like responsible for another human being and, um, you know, sort of on the more flipping side, you know, hangovers and motherhood do not go well together. (laughs) So I hear. (laughs) Yeah. But also, you know, just, you know, now you're the model for another human being. And, you know, I, even though I modeled it myself, I swore to myself um, very young that I would never quote unquote parent or do some of the things that my parents did such as drinking and driving with us in the car, which my dad did multiple times. Um, And yeah, so I guess like my rock bottom was I drank and drove with my kids in the car even don't, I mean, I, I remember driving, but it wasn't, you know, like it was, I really should not have been driving. So internally, what was it like for you as a parent and thinking back to your younger self saying, I will never do this. I will break this sort of generational, you know, alcoholic way of life. And then seeing yourself continuing it that had to be, you know, hard to come to terms with. Yes, very much so. But it kind of also fits in with this shame cycle that alcoholics are already in, you know, like, uh, so it was just like another thing that I wish I hadn't done the night before or said, or, you know, like it'd been going on for decades where I was pretty used to waking up at least on Monday mornings and having this, you know, cascade of guilt and shame. and, And then like physically, of course, not feeling better anyway. And so that's where there lies the cycle, you know, but yeah, there was definitely this deeper, deeper disappointment in myself. So I know that there was sort of a period of controlled drinking, if you will, or um, moderation. I talked to a lot of alcoholics who try that maybe not in conjunction with early motherhood, but um, aside from the example that, that you wanted to set, what were some of the biggest challenges or internal struggles with trying to drink in moderation? Basically, I knew I needed to stop drinking. I wasn't mentally ready to say I'm never going to have another drink again. Mm. Um, So I thought I would test myself and see if it was possible to even control it. I mean, I was at this point in my life at whatever the 38, you know, I'm not like, you know, hiding alcohol in the house or anything like that. It's just, you know, the I think very common, you know, four or five o'clock glass of wine, wine with dinner, like it's just like it being a part of my life. Um, And so part, you know, I had rules, which were, I think I was only allowed to drink, I can't remember if it was two or three nights a week. And there was a two glass limit. And, you know, like, there's never a good time for these things, but it seemed to like fit into some sort of best time. And anyway, at the end of, so my wedding was in February and by March of that year. So I think there was maybe nine months where I quote unquote, tried to control it. And, but it was more of this internal narrative where I knew that, you know, I really had to have that conversation with myself and more than one occasion of like, no, like you said, you're going to have two, like three is not two, yeah. five is not two, you know, like, <laughs> And sort of maybe self-studying at that point as like, why is it so hard to, you know, be at these social events and say no 
and, and sort of bringing more awareness to that. So I guess it, you know, I definitely think it was an important step for me. I don't think I would recommend it necessarily. Yeah. So when was your last drink? So that was the 17th of March, 19, 2019. 2019. Great. That is an uncommon path to recovery, but I think a common, uh, common feelings that alcoholics and, and probably mothers have. And I'm sure that, that a lot of listeners can relate to. So I think it's an important story to tell. So I appreciate you being here today. You had mentioned uh, a long history of self-hatred. So aside from maybe the learned behavior aspect of alcoholism, what what can you say about you know, internalizing things or, or the self-hatred, I guess, that you mentioned? You know, I was always consciously drinking to numb out whatever I did not want to feel. And, you know, it was dressed up as having fun or being more social or being more easygoing, um, you know, really, truly believing, which is, this is the sad, disempowering part that, I was a more enjoyable person to be around um, drinking, maybe not drunk, but, you know, being social in that scenario. Um, but it was, it was just so common where I'd have, you know, whoever the trusted friend was in the scenario that I'd be calling the next morning and, you know, rehashing like what exactly happened the last few hours, few hours, nice. you know, and there were more, multiple, multiple occasions in my life where it was something that, you know, I was deeply embarrassed about potentially um, really hurt someone or gravely damaged a relationship. And, you know, it just builds up, just builds up over time. And the other part is it was also modeled to me this, like to me, alcoholism is a very slow way of killing yourself. Absolutely. Yes. And that's kind of how I very tongue in cheek, sarcastically swept my father's suicide under the carpet, emotionally, at least four decades. So my dad, my parents got divorced at seven. My dad wasn't really a, I mean, he always drank, but it didn't become really problematic in his life, meaning, you know, losing jobs, getting DUIs, um, being sent to jail, even all those happened sort of in my formative teenage years. And then he took his own life uh, when I was 17. And so I feel like all of that was, you know, so as a, as a teenager and a young, in, in my twenties, I had this very, um, you know, jaded one standpoint of life. Um, yeah. I think all teenagers have this sense of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like nothing can happen to you. Invincibility, right? Yeah, so yeah. I had it under the narrative of, um, you know, if I'm meant to go, I'll go, you know, like there's, yeah. and so made or didn't make many, many decisions based under this. Like I'm, if I'm meant to be here, I'll be here kind of attitude. Do you feel like you were able to grieve your dad's death at the time or were you already numbing with alcohol? I grieved it to some extent, but because I wasn't like at 17, like I'd had the odd drink, but it wasn't like my yeah 
but I certainly quickly shifted into that. So I partially digested it, but from then on took really decades to this day. I mean, I'm, I'm coming to terms with different aspects. I had sort of a breakthrough last year, realizing how I've really painted my entire narrative of my relationship with my father from the lens of, you know, the last six months of his life, when in fact, he taught me many, many wonderful, beautiful things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's an ongoing process. And yeah, I mean, I think it's the number one thing most people use alcohol for is not feeling how they want to feel. Absolutely. My health coach that I had at the time was an integral part as to why I even got to the point where I was facing the reality that in order to be a integrated health leader, (laughs) how it works with most health coaches is you try something, you try it on for two weeks. And so I said, all right, I'll try it on for two weeks. And it just kind of, you know, blossomed from there through watching how it was to be a health coach. I decided that's something I could do. And it was really a nice way to integrate lots of things that I've done over the years. I've been a yoga teacher for a decade and and I love teaching yoga, but at some point, uh, at the decade point, I was well aware that I didn't want to just do that for the rest of my life. So it kind of worked out beautifully to get into the wellness space um, in a broader sense. I got certified to be a yoga teacher and sort of live this double life, which I actually heard someone else on a podcast the other day. Basically, like Ashtanga yoga t- tends to attract the type A personalities And so I was still going out Friday, Saturday, no, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, I was doing two back-to-back hardcore vinyasa classes, just, you know, sweat out all the alcohol, the poor people around me. Yeah. Um, As as to me, that was like balance for me at the time, Um, obviously far from it, but um, you know, you got to start somewhere. So yoga was actually maybe the first way and world that helped me be more conscious of, of like what it even meant to take care of myself and why that might be of interest. Yeah. So we connected on Instagram and we had been talking about the podcast and, uh, your, wellness focus and you you had said I noticed that you're up in the wee hours of the morning a lot (laughs) and I was like damn she's she's right I'm busted and you know we continued the conversation about how my sleep cycle is just completely really non-existent at this point and uh you made some great suggestions um a few that I'm trying on uh to, to to use your words and I've already noticed a difference and no caffeine after 3 p.m. And I have added an additional. So I meditate in the morning and I've been doing like a, a more calming meditation at night as well, like an hour before bed uh, and no phone an hour before bed. So why don't we talk about uh, non-alcoholic glow and how we can benefit our listeners? Sure. Well, non-alcoholic glow is a project, uh, sort of a side project at this point, but uh, we have big plans. <laughs> uh, you and is, me both, girl. Let's talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> it is a, it 
was birthed out of an idea, a friend of mine, actually the one very close friend that came out of taking the um, certification to be a health coach. She and I did it at the same time. Her name is Lily Sokoloff. And she had come to me multiple times actually during the pandemic saying, it is crazy here in the US. Like people are drinking every day, all day. Like it's just gone out of control. She's, she said like, it was sort of like that, was the standpoint at first. And then months later, it came to be more personal where she had reflected on how it was interfering um, or it certainly wasn't making it easier, her current relationship. And, you know, she was never a drinker, let's say, but I think that's more the point with our project is that you don't need to quote unquote, have a drinking problem to dramatically improve your quality of life by cutting it out. And we wanted to focus on the positive. Um, and so we uh, we got together with um, the Cork Brothers, who I believe it's mostly a podcast, but basically it's a group of guys that just sample non-alcoholic beers and talk about it on a podcast, but they're so high vibe and um, so fun. And then um, we partnered with Sexy AF, which stands yeah. for Alcohol Free. Yes. Uh, spirits. And they're based out of Calgary. So again, uh, hats off to Calgary. We just had this experiment experience where we started this new idea. The, the few people we got involved were so uh, giving of their time, so interested in supporting us. And, and that's one thing I really like about the sober community and um you know every day there's more events that are sober or you know attract just for sober people or you know are very much more inclusive um now that i travel here in mexico it's not so common but every time i've been outside um and been in the states or when i went on honeymoon to new zealand uh just like so many places have a fun mocktail menu these days and I just find it so encouraging so non-alcoholic glow the initial idea was to present a challenge for anyone who wanted to take a break let's say from alcohol for 14 days and we will do more of those in the future but um we have multiple ideas one I can share um that's there's it's literally just an idea at this point but some sort of app um filling a space in the sober movement that's not being served to date um and we have lots of ideas of what that might look like but yeah we're just excited because it was such a high vibe experience um people were so you know we didn't have thousands of people beating down our doors but um people and, and sometimes people that you don't expect to be quote-unquote sober curious yeah the whole sober curious movement I think is huge right now. So I love that you guys are doing that. And I look forward to uh, seeing more from it. Thank you. It sort of fits perfectly. I mean, one thing that I do with all my clients is help them reevaluate the relationship with all sorts of everyday toxins, be it sugar, caffeine, gluten, uh, all sorts of things. And everyone is so different. So, you know, people have different experiences and, you know, it really needs to be a decision you make on your own. But by doing these sorts of challenges, it really gives you the gift of clarity that you can see 
how do I really feel? How does my body actually operate taking that out of my life? And it might right. surprise me. And react to these things that, that we are ingesting. Um, I think that's a good segue because I wanted to touch on plant-based living and sort of the natural energy side of things. So I think that fits in well. Sure. Well, all those things that I mentioned, so uh, alcohol, um, you know, certainly highly processed, but in general, all animal products, um, dairy, caffeine, and alcohol, all these things basically oxidize your cells. So translation, they rust your cells, they're killing your cells, you know, whereas not only fresh, but plants, you know, legumes, vegetables, fruits, seeds, nuts are bringing oxygen to your cells. They're doing the exact opposite. And then you have all sorts of products that are antioxidants that are basically potent superfoods or even just foods like blueberries would be in that category are doing the same thing. And it really is a balance that's unique to the individual to see how your best in your thrive mode, if you will, versus, you know, feeling lethargic. You have any, any one of those everyday toxins that's pulling down your energy or oxidating your cells more than you're bringing life to them on a daily basis. It's, it's a balance that it's going to run out over time, if you will. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to point out that I kind of had this realization more reflecting on my, my experience with my dad living out the last years with you is, you know, an extreme alcoholism, uh, you know, this reality that when we stop focusing on what we're eating and our nutrition and really taking care of ourselves in other ways, because of the, the alcoholism, you know, we do become different people, all those, all these things shape not only how we're feeling directly on an emotional level, but um, it can really shift how a person thinks. And I think it's a really important aspect of recovery to support yourself in that way, to find, uh, you know, a nutritionist or a wellness coach or a health coach to help you find balance. Um, I certainly don't think you should be going on what's classically thought of as a diet. It's all about adding in healthier things to what you're already doing and not restricting yourself. Um, but finding what I like to talk about as intuitive eating, like this calm, happy, healthy approach to what you're eating and feeling that you seek nourishment and even maybe connection with your food, with the environment and where it comes from. And all of that will help you help support you physically, uh, emotionally, and spiritually throughout the recovery process. It's more of an energetic reality that the more that you consume these things that are basically your body has to, they can process them. And arguably in some cases, like with, you know, organic beef, there are benefits that they're getting out of that food, but it's zero fiber. So there's like an added cost to the body to process it, if you will. And if the balance is off and you're eating more of that versus things that bring energy, uh, hydration, fiber, and nutrients to the body, then basically over time, it becomes harder and harder to meet that same natural energy level that you felt, you know, in your twenties, let's say. Ah, uh, the twenties. <laughs> I look back fondly. Well, I guess it depends how I look back. 
<laughs> if it were those Saturday and Sunday mornings, probably not fondly, but so I know you have an upcoming program that you're launching. Why don't you hit on that and tell folks where they can find you online and on social media? Sure. Thank you. Well, you can find me at meganswanwellness.com, my website. Uh, I'm a big fan of Instagram. And so that's the main place. If you want to chat, hit me up in the DMs at meganswanwellness. And the program I'm launching is called Align and Shine. I just ran it. Um, in fact, I'm about to turn finish running the first version um, in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to uh, launch it again in September. So if you're looking for some high vibe community for the fall this year, it's going to be, it's a hybrid. So it includes one-on-one coaching combined with group coaching. And then I bring in 12 guest experts. And the last Align and Shine was very much focused on mindset and empowerment We talked a lot about masculine and feminine energies and um, we talked about human design, EFT tapping, sort of all sorts of things that can help you shift your mindset. This time I'm actually going a little bit back to my roots and focusing on embodiment and the experts are all going to be more on the side of, you know, ways that you can physically um, embody also empowerment and basically a deeper level of self-acceptance through movement. Um, There's a a pelvic floor health specialist. There is a trauma informed coach, all of these things that can build on you finding new levels of clarity. Of course, there'll be lots on the mindset and always there's the baseline wellness, but it's going to be really amazing. The last group of ladies is spectacular and I'm so looking forward to running it again. Great. Tell me about this EFT tapping. I A few of my followers brought it up and it's kind of fascinating to me, but I don't really know much about it. Can you give me kind of a brief rundown? Sure. Well, it is emotional freedom tapping is the, the acronym there. Basically, there are um, pressure points that are along the meridian lines that are helping you shift your mindset around something. So Generally, you do three rounds. First, you voice the thing that you, either the fear or how you don't want to feel. And then you do another round suggesting to your subconscious how you could think differently or feel differently. And then the last round, each time you like do a big inhale and exhale and kind of reset. And then the last round, you would do the like high vibe version of how you want to think or feel. And it it really works. I mean, if nothing else, you feel high vibe right yeah. after it's kind of buzzing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you do it on, you know, like everything, it's ideally daily, but, you know, you're doing it regularly, you're going to feel high vibe. Amazing. Full of your, of your thoughts, patterns. Well, I think this is just perfect for our listeners. Recovery is so much more than not drinking. And I think it's about evolving and being a better version of yourself and, all of this plays perfectly into that. So Megan Swan, thank you so much for your time today. And let's keep in touch, my friend. Yes, Nate. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Huge thank you to Megan Swan for being so open and informative about recovery and wellness. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you today. And if we help just one person, our job is done. 
You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at thesobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast or on Instagram at the sobriety diaries pod. Check back soon for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, friends.